In our second season of Back to Work, we discussed top of mind issues with thought leaders across the staffing industry. We took a deep dive on topics like talent resilience, building teams in the new normal, mental health in the workplace, DE&I efforts in the workplace, and much, much more. For our last episode of Back to Work this season, we will recap some of those topics as well as provide our listeners with an outlook on the staffing industry in 2023. I'm Joe McIntyre, host of Back to Work. We are closing out this season of Back to Work with our first guest of the year, Matt Rivera. For our first-time listeners, Matt Rivera is the Vice President of Marketing and Communications at Yelp. Matt, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Joe. Good to be here. Thanks for having me back. Well, great to have you. So back in March, when you joined the podcast, we discussed talent resilience in the face of the you know unprecedented mass exodus that companies have witnessed. Uh, this year saw, saw not only the great resignation, but also the rise of the term quiet quitting. What elements of talent resilience worked and what advice would you give companies looking to continue to maintain employee performance in the new year as things are certainly going to change even more? We might see that's an understatement. Who knows what's <laughs> what's happening? I mean, who could have who could have predicted a pandemic, right? So, you know, what I think uh, we need to be prepared for, you know, whatever's coming. And I think that for some companies, this could be an inflection point regarding talent. I think that some companies built back that muscle memory for talent acquisition that had been lost. And I hope that many took the opportunity to reassess their talent acquisition processes. And in fact, we saw that a lot from our customers. So there was a lot more interest in things like uh, RPO, recruitment process outsourcing, and you know, getting back to hiring um, when, when they didn't have some of those processes in place. It still feels like, and I think many companies are pretty reactionary, they hired and hired, and now when things look a bit uncertain, they, they you know, will they simply just shut off the spigot and go, okay, stop, you know, we're done and forget, you know, some of the things we've learned, what we call the great resignation, quiet quitting, I think has been followed by some regret and disappointment for both workers and companies. Some went to positions that didn't work out or weren't great or weren't what was advertised. Uh, others were simply laid off. I think that maybe some of the companies didn't get the talent they thought they were getting and probably paying a lot for. So again, like right now, to me, things still seem very reactionary. And that's, you know, that that's a cause for caution as we go into next year. Companies still have to look for sustainable strategies and continue to invest in talent even as things slow down. Uh, I believe if you do this, you know, as a company, you'll win. And I hope they hired for potential and they keep developing good people. I think that's something we talked about last time, which was making sure that you're hiring and developing people for their potential for the longer term and not just I need to fill a job. And then helping them be more resilient. And I think, you know, we'll probably talk a little bit about that because if we're talking about, you know, what happened this year and what could potentially happen next year, it's more than ever about the employee experience for sure. I mean, we talk about staffing and talent cycles a lot, um, not just at Yo, but just broadly. Does this remind you kind of where we are now um, coming off a pretty challenging year going into kind of another uncertain one? Remind you of any other time in your career? I mean, you've been doing this for a little while now. What does it kind of remind you of anything that comes to mind? Thank you for saying just a little while. That's very kind of you. <laughs> so, yeah, the uh, the this is, I think, almost this is a little bit unique. And I think it's we, we've seen it and I relate it to the like uh, cycles we've seen in technology. Right. So it's gotten very short in technology, you know, the, the product cycle and things like that. So I think here it's it's been shortened 
And I think that's what's taken many companies by surprise, because I think they in the past, we probably had more time for these cycles to kind of unwind. Right. So you go into, hey, we're going to hire a lot or uh, the bell curve is uh, is contract workers temporary. And so you shut off the valve for permanent hiring and then you hire a contract. And then as you go the other side, things start to loosen up and you start hiring perm again and you, you know, maybe not as many on the contract basis and then you really start hiring perm. So I think we had time for that to develop. So I guess my message on that right now would be you don't have that time. We don't have that luxury of time anymore because if things pick up really quickly, you know, that's the way it's going to be. We're, we're going to have to react to that and make sure we have that. If they don't, you're still going to need talent. It just may be in different areas or it's still, it just may be in different ways that you use that talent. So I think, again, it still feels very reactionary. And I think the cycle has really become a lot shorter. So I think companies need to cover all their bases, right? They need to look at talent holistically and, and total talent across their organization. And that's really will allow them to, you know, um, just pull pull it up and down as they need to in different areas and with different types of engagements. I mean, one thing that certainly changed uh, everything was the pandemic. Uh, every aspect of our everyday lives completely transformed. Uh, but the longest lasting impact seems to be on our mental health. Uh, we spoke to your colleague, Becky Harwell, uh, who's an internal recruitment manager at Yale, about addressing the fears of social anxiety uh, when it comes to returning to an in-person work environment. Let's hear from her there. I think avoiding things that make us anxious can sometimes feel like it's the easier option um, in the short term, but this can make things quite hard um, in the long run. So a gentle integration back into a kind of a face-to-face -face environment, I think, is key. So what's worked well for, for us in the UK office is that we've worked a hybrid model. So we work some days in the office and some days from home. So Matt, what are some strategies that you would give to employers looking to transition back to the office? I know actually Yo, for folks who work at Yo as recruiters, have a cool program called YoFlex. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the origins of that and then maybe how companies or you think what you're hearing um, should work on that hybrid environment and how that may all shake out. This is a great question and a huge issue that we're going to be talking about, I think, for years to come because it's really become um, part of when we brought ourselves, you know, with the pandemic hit all parts of our lives. So it wasn't a work thing. It wasn't a personal thing. It wasn't a, hey, you know, one person and not another or one area of the company and not another, you know, those types of things. It was universal and ubiquitous. And so that's that's huge, you know, and I think we're going to have to, it's going to take a long time to continue to help people through this. And I think that anyone that has kids realizes there was trauma involved in going through the pandemic. Uh, I related to schools and children and teachers going back to school. Um, uh, I'm on my local school board and we're seeing more disruptions in school than ever. Both students and teachers are in their own ways dealing with this trauma, but also the collective ability to work together again, give each other time, be social as well as academic, care for mental health. You know, the mental health of our teachers is huge, but they don't have a lot of time to, you know, just sit and think about that. And the kids are in different places with mental health. So I think workers are no different than that. And I really related to that a lot. We've changed and it took the better part of two years for this to happen. Although, you know, in, at the, in the beginning, it happened very rapidly. So now do we 
I don't know if it's realistic to expect people to change back in a week and a month or a quarter. And I, I think the most important element that may also be the hardest is trust. And do we trust our workers? Have we invested in them and in ways of working that help us trust them? Yo, so as you said, Yo went to a model called Yo Flex that really only includes one mandatory day in the office each month, not a week, a month. So that is, you know, a way to say, hey, we still need to get together and we need to, you know, and, and workers have the option to come in any day of the week they want. But we realized it wasn't going to work for everybody and it wasn't just going to go back to way to the way things were. So it's trust and there's still clear expectations and we put tools in place to help and to, to make sure we we're managing that. Um, but then it's giving them the trust to say, you know, we, we know you can do what you need to do and also deal with this trauma and also get back to working and also, you know, get back to work life relationships and all the things that go with that. And the things I talked about earlier with school. So you got to learn how to work together again in a different way. And we've all been doing that. Leaders have been doing that. And then, of course, it's, you know, it's communication and connection. So we have that that really that one day in the office is a, called a collaborate day. And sometimes it takes the form of we're going to meet and talk about stuff. Sometimes it's casual and we just want to connect. And, you know, and I, and I think that's the key, right? Finding good ways to connect, communicate. And the conversation is different now, I think. I think it's more of um, how are you doing? Rather than did you make those placements or did you get your work done? Mm -hmm. And I don't think we do that enough. And I feel certainly for workers who did not have the option of working remotely because they weren't really they didn't have time and, and they weren't really asked a lot of that. They just we needed to get things done. So I think that's changed really the way we talk about and think about mental health at work. And it's not just a, hey, you can call our employee assistance program and hotline and, you know, if you need to. I think everybody potentially needs to. It's just at differing levels or different times. And so, you know, you have to make that okay. You have to, you know, we have to normalize that as much as possible. And I think it's accelerated that conversation around mental health. Yeah, I mean... It's, no one certainly, I'm sure, has the solution to what this all is going to shake out to be or what the best situation is for everybody. Is it, is it just a matter of companies and employees need to be patient as companies do a trial and error kind of thing? Hey, let's try YoFlex. Let's try one day a week. Let's try once a month. Let's try whatever it is um, until we figure it out. And it certainly may vary depending on the industry, the certain company. Um, probably just people need to be patient. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I would agree that it's it's equal parts, like I said, patience and trust, yeah. right? It's we it's hard because, again, we need to get things done. We need to, you know, we need to make sure that work is done, our businesses thrive, you know, and, and that we have businesses to welcome employees back to and to, you know, to, to have a business that can sustain growth and employees. So. I think for leaders it's hard and i think that's another part of this you know mental health equation is just making sure that leaders have what they need and being patient as they learn this new work environment and the way we're working and then trusting them to you know make those decisions that are right for them right now 
it's, you know, I think we made a lot of decisions for workers in the past. And we, you know, we dictated a lot of what, it, you know, what had to happen at work. And I think we need to, you know, figure out where that line is and trust our employees and let them make some of those decisions. And, and I don't think that's been the case. And I don't think we've talked about some of the that tr kind of trust enough where, you know, it's okay that we're, we're giving them the autonomy and the respect and the trust to get their jobs done. And I, I, I don't think that was the norm and I don't think it is. And I think that's really important for companies today. Yeah. I mean, we've mentioned making work work for everybody. Uh, back in June, Yo ran a survey that showed that more than, I think, seven in 10 employed Americans uh, feel their company has not made strides in becoming a more diverse workplace over the past few years. One of the key insights, I think, found that in the study, 32% of Hispanic employees said their company talks about improving uh, diversity and equity, but doesn't really follow through. What are some recommendations uh, for ensuring DE&I advancements happen in the workplace now that that conversation has ramped up even further this year and um, certainly well into next? Uh, when it comes to DE&I, I've always talked about access, right, is providing access as much as possible. So we need to make sure we're providing access to open positions, to development opportunities, to promotions, to diverse individuals in our workplace. And I would agree with that statement that the follow through is the key and many times the hardest part. I've argued with our teams um, that we're at the hardest point of our DEI journey. I mean, it's and we keep adding, you know, to that, you know, it's diversity, equity and inclusion. And there's there's now a couple more that we add to that. But it, it's easy to talk about it and support employees, resource groups and good things like that to feel good and do you know good work in those areas that are generally the right things to do and the right things to talk about. But when talent is scarce, it's harder to ensure we're following through and providing things like a diverse slate of candidates or mentoring diverse candidates. In some industries, I'm sure they just, I, I need people to get the job done. I'm, I'm not worried about that or I'm not thinking about that or they've allowed themselves to, you know, when they're looking at diversity statistics, go, yeah, but, you know, we're having trouble filling the roles. So, you know, it's not as important right now. Well, I would, I would actually argue it's more important in some respects because there are populations uh, of employees with disabilities uh, and, and other diverse individuals uh, that are an untapped market for talent. And we need to look at that. I think IT is, is discovering uh, individuals on the autism scale who are very good at discrete tasks around uh, some of the IT things that, um, that need to be done. But what, I would add to the discussion is that we need more leaders as advocates to make sure that the processes and training and development programs don't exclude diverse population. It goes back to access. You have to be really aware and you have to really think about it and you have to look at it and say, are we really giving opportunities? And we all, all of us need help and advice in this area. Like I said, this is kind of the, the really tough part of this journey. And it extends also to uh, a company's extended workforce, like temporary workers, contract workers. We need access for those type of, of worker engagements as well, because, you know, I think sometimes that gets lost. And lastly, I would say that we really need to make sure diverse workers are seen and supported. Uh, for I, We can't forget that for many, and I was reminded the other day of this, that, you know, get just getting here for many of them is a tough journey. 
and we can't take for granted what they have and what they need to be successful. And and for some of them, there's still hurdles. Some may feel like they're not getting the respect they deserve, or that others in the organization respect their authority, their experience, their management style, their you know whatever it is. Um, I was just talking about our executive team about that. We can't take it for granted when we put somebody who's diverse in a position and say, hey, you're the manager, that everybody else is going to get on board with that. And everybody else is going to just fall in line and respect and 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 give that person the same respect they gave their predecessor, who may not have been diverse. Or or we've also had those situations where we put a diverse in a diverse person in that position and it hasn't worked out. But we don't go back and say, well, why didn't it work? Oh, it was just the person. Mm, it might have been, but we need to make sure that happens without exception. Everybody brings biases to work. We need to recognize and help people through it. Otherwise, our diverse individuals won't won't thrive and won't stay. And they are a larger part of uh, the population and the worker demographic, demographic and rising worker demographic than ever. Yeah, I mean, is it is it so dependent on leaders to kind of embrace this? Because if people across the organization say, yeah, we got to do this, but if the one or two people or five or 10 people at the top uh, don't make those meaningful efforts, it can kind of not, nothing matters, right? So it's it's got to be a top-down uh, embrace of this uh, DE&I and, you know, make sure you're changing the workforce in the best way. And otherwise, it kind of can seem pointless at the lower-level people, the younger people, you know, oh, yeah, we need to do this, but the upper heads, you know, don't really agree. So, yeah, I think it works both ways, right? Yes, yeah. it's, it's there are just some areas where, you know, it's got to come from the top down. Uh, and I think there's also this goes along with we talk a lot about um, safety just in general. And people think safety, you know, well, don't trip over something or don't get hurt at work, those types of things. But there's emotional safety. There's, you know, uh, being willing and, and creating an environment and a culture where you can speak up. So I think from the bottom, people need to speak up when that's not the case. And I think that, you know, people who are bystanders in that conversation who see it need to speak up because sometimes it's not you and but you see it. And and so I think, you know, other workers can help by saying, hey, you know, this is what I hear and this is what I saw. Mm-hmm. And that's not doesn't seem right. And it doesn't seem fair or it doesn't seem safe for this person. And. So I think that's another way that companies can can help with that is to encourage that and make it safe for people to speak up. Yeah. Earlier this season, we were thrilled to welcome Barry Assen, president of Staffing Industry Analysts, uh, on a two-part series uh, for this season. Barry discussed workforce management, competitive landscapes, and the intersection between talent and technology. The conversation discussed how important it is for companies to have a genuine effort in ESG when recruiting. People are smart. And you know they can they can sort of read the uh, the BS meter, uh, where it's you know just sort of the lip service. So I think it's important that it's uh, it's authentic. But yes, I mean obviously people care about um, you know the, uh, the environment. You know we've been through this whole big social change, um, uh, rightfully so, around uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, which I think now is even to the point where. It's not just like the right thing to do, but it's also the in this moment of intense talent shortages, like you can't leave any community behind or people that you might have overlooked in the past or not really reached out to. Matt, can you define value based recruiting and why it's changing the talent game uh, more than probably it ever has? I I love this and I love Barry. Uh, he's He's been a great leader for 
um, SIA, and and I love how he defined the issue, right? And and talked about it in no uncertain terms, right? It's such a pretty good um, way he was describing it. And I would say, and I would say, and we used to, I think we started out saying this was kind of a generational thing, but I think that's an overgeneralization, right? People are becoming more aware of what a company says, but more importantly, what that company does and what they stand for. And they're, you know, they're, they're taking that to heart. And I think, again, there's some very vocal groups and people who are helping to push that. And and just to say that, you know, uh, companies need to do more. And, and it was OK not to do more before. And a lot of it got, you know, covered up and, and not really talked about. So I think that's changing. And our parent company put out its first ESG report. And it's it's daunting to put together and even more daunting to look at and say, hey, are we doing enough? Are we really could we do more? So um, but so you ask about values based recruiting and I'll tell you two stories that resonated with me. So one is I had a, a, a person um, who, you know, identifies as a diverse individual in, in different ways and came to the company. And said, you know, when I was looking at at the overall company and the parent company, it looked a little bit um, uh, tough and um, you know, male maybe male dominated, and uh, in some industries that are you know very, um, you know, uh, what what I would consider industries that are you know not necessarily progressive and not necessarily you know, so that came in with that perception. Uh, from the outside. But then when she got in the company, she said, oh, my gosh, my experience was totally different. It totally didn't match that. They're great people here, very welcoming. I felt safe. I could do these things. Um, so I think that that speaks to kind of that values based recruiting is making sure that, you know, some of those things are apparent to the people that you're trying to recruit. What's your company about? And and starting maybe starting some of those conversations there, not necessarily about the job, but about the company and the culture. So that's you know a good way to start. So the second story would be, um, the, the, we had another individual that came in and said went through the interview process, talked to a lot of people, and said it was, it was so consistent all the way through. I heard the same thing. Everybody was saying the same things. It felt the same thing, and so I started to like a doubt whether it would really be that way. And then when she got in, she realized, oh my gosh, this is real. This is really how it is. And so, you know, I mean, it was, both of those were kind of different experiences, but it also speaks to how, you know, we're all still not adjusted to that kind of uh, transparency and that kind of values-based recruiting where, you know, in one case, it seemed like it wasn't that wasn't the way it was going to be, but they were pleasantly surprised. In the other case, it was exactly how they thought it was going to be, and they were pleasantly surprised. So, you know, I think the values-based recruiting um, could be a game changer for some companies and some um, industries and and others that that will help them understand that there are after all these things we've been talking about with the pandemic and mental health and you know all these things it's it's important to that you have a company that you know somebody can bring themselves to feel safe emotionally and and physically and 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 also work in a way that 
you know, suits them for diverse individuals and all of those things. So it's more of making sure that's, you know, apparent to anybody coming into your company. And I think that's a huge recruiting advantage and it will continue to be because again, if you can match the experience all the way through the employee experience and it does match, that word gets out and people really, if it doesn't, you know, I would have been really upset if either one of those had turned out like it, it wasn't welcoming. I'm, you know, so we've taken, you know, steps in some areas to say, oh yeah, you know, we need to look at that and we need to make sure that's welcoming to a diverse uh, group of people so that they feel like it from the very beginning uh, that it's going to match that. Uh, but it would be really the other side of the story is if you're saying all these things and then you're not actually doing them, that's huge. And that gets out probably faster and people get more upset about that. Yeah, that's probably why um, the second story you mentioned, um, so many people I'm sure have gotten burned with a, you know, I don't know if it's a bait and switch, whatever you want to call it, of I was sold this company that accepts this or were, you know, this welcoming organization that is, you know, does all this, all these great things. And then they get there and it's not the case. So it seems like that, um, that trend is kind of reversing at least a little bit for some of those companies. And I think the past two years have kind of shown leaders and those who are hiring the importance of being authentic when you're recruiting um, because employees aren't going to fall for, you know, the bait and switch anymore. Um, and as you mentioned, even people have still gotten burned. Um, by making the switch. So things are shaking out, but I'm sure it's going to be a long process. <laughs> yeah, I think that, you know, it's it's both um, thinking, you know, that people are thinking about and, and and will act on working for a company that values the world, their health, and concerns about wellness and environment and doing what's right. So it's, it, it is something that is important to workers. Yeah. So uh, as the pandemic hit the entire workforce, um, we talked about this a lot already today, but maintaining good mental health uh, is top of mind for everybody. Uh, a Yo survey found that a staggering three quarters of employed Americans, around 76%, feel their employer does not prioritize uh, their employees' mental health. Our guest, Janet Gerhard of FHE Health, highlighted how employers can better understand the signs of mental health issues going on in the workplace. But if we're struggling with a behavioral health issue, as I said earlier, we're doing everything we can to mask it. So it shows up in signs and symptoms, though. The people who are struggling with depressive disorder, often taking more days off than normal, often arriving to work late, um, often in, in a very personal way, not sleeping well, not eating well. So employers, uh, as I'll, and I'll circle back to communication, employers need to be communicating that there are programs available. Matt, do you have any best practice strategies for implementing mental health check-ins with employees? Um, you mentioned uh, having hotlines is a great concept potentially, um, but really doesn't quite get to, to where people need to be. So what are some of those strategies or uh, tips you have for uh, focusing more on mental health in the workplace? As I mentioned earlier, yeah, I think we're all been through this collective trauma with the pandemic and now we're forced to think about what's normal and what's not, or am I normal or am I feeling okay or am I not? And I'm no expert, but I don't think the brain's prepared to deal with all this stuff and certainly not on an ongoing basis like we've had to deal with. Uh, so I think, as I said, it's making time to ask not about work or anything else, but just how are you doing? Um, and, you know, there's there's questions like that that can just be as easy as you know how you know how is your how is your work day going how's today going and, and maybe even focusing on just how they're feeling that day because every day is not equal and and so i think it's just giving them the time and the space uh for the help and the support they need you know they might need 
we have a great opportunity with this horrible pandemic. And, and it was really because we had to reassess, you know, what it means to work. It was huge. And there, but there were some people who didn't even have the option of working from home. And, you know, and it's really hard. So I would say there's a few things. One would be, you know, look for the signs. Uh, and that, this is why it's more than that, more important than ever to stay connected, and especially if you're remote, is just look for signs when people start to um, draw, you know, draw inside themselves, draw back a little bit, aren't as accessible. Uh, you know, there are definite signs. And, you know, when you get on with somebody, use a camera and make sure you're talking to them. Now we could, you know, meet for coffee and do things like that where you could see, you know, and, and feel how they're working. And, and we've seen people, I think we've seen people um, over, certainly over the pandemic, you know, you get on the camera sometimes and you can tell it's been a tough morning, you know, and, you know, we, I didn't shave this morning and I got a hat on, right? So it's, Same here. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it, it's okay to do that some days and you got to let people do that because, you know, with all those things we have, so... I, the other suggestion I would have is to give them a little more than you think is needed and see what happens. I think that's probably appreciated by more people, but it goes back to my comment about trust. I, I think we need to trust people a little bit to do more uh, with what um, what they think is best. And we've we've you know dictated what's best for a long time. I think uh, we need a, just a little more of trusting them to do what's best for them at the time. And, and, you know, you, you can still say, hey, 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 we, need, we, we have a deadline. We have to get things done. And, you know, that's OK. Or maybe we can change the deadline or maybe it's not as important as we thought. Or maybe there's other priorities and have the discussion, have the conversation, but give them a little more than what you think is needed. And I think most people come through when you do that. And I think right now that's probably more appreciated than ever. And I think we have to make it easy to work with our companies. Uh, it shouldn't be harder, it, you know, especially right now everybody has more to deal with than they ever have so let's make it easy we can always change it later you can always make it a little bit more rigid or you know change the parameters but i think right now is not the time and i think that was the knee-jerk reaction when it was kind of everybody back to the office for some companies and everyone said wait hold on are you, are you, are you kidding me you know that's that doesn't seem like you're making it easy for me or you're making it you know and i think employers felt like well we've always been able to say that before why shouldn't we now but again you know and and then i think the last thing i would suggest is that we reinforce from the top down and from everybody who has workers with them that it's okay to ask for help that it's okay to say look i can't be on the call today it's just you know i'm, I'm having a, a tough day or i need to get help for this i need some time and work with people to do that. And I think you need to just be willing to say it's OK. And, and you know, people need that now and people are going to need that in the future. We've covered a lot of topics already. Uh, as we look ahead to 2023, are there any that you feel will continue to kind of carry over in the new year that we haven't discussed yet? Um, trends, important things that employers and recruiters, employees also should keep in mind? Yeah, I think I'll just give you a couple of quick ones. Worker satisfaction for one. We kind of talked about it around mental health and other things, but I think we've been doing a workers' confidence survey for years now. I'll be really interested to see how what changes in 2023. Do they feel, hey, I need more money because I'm working too harder and you know inflation, and will they believe they need to be promoted because they're the one, only ones left, and you know other things like that? Um, how are people feeling about their job security? 
if we saw the great resignation and now are people going to be like, oh, wow, now I'm really worried about not being here. I, you know, I was looking for jobs before. Now I'm just happy to keep my job. I don't know where people are going to land. I think it's hard to generalize because there's all types of jobs and workers and people are dealing with a lot. So I think companies, it goes back to the worker experience. You need to care for the worker experience and find new ways to make sure workers, and I don't, I don't want to use the term, you don't want workers to just be happy at work. You want them to uh, feel appreciated and safe and, you know, those things at work that are not necessarily all tangible type things. And, you know, happy with the culture and the experience more like not just happy at work, but happy with the culture and the experience they're having. And the other thing I think that I'd add is uh, the supply and demand equation. I do believe in certain areas, whether the Fed wants to slow down hiring or not, We'll see demand for certain skills, maybe life sciences, technology, I mean, R&D and, you know, projects that are going on need to continue. And I mean, not to mention manufacturing production. So we're still getting back to, you know, full tilt manufacturing production. Are are we really going to slow that down? Are we really going to stop that? I don't know. So I think there'll still be high demand for some key workers and not enough workers to fill those spots. Uh, staying on the future, just one final question here. Any trends in recruitment? You mentioned a few there that you're going to be keeping your eye on in the new year. Uh, certainly, Yo has uh, has been known us for for quite a while, and things have changed. Like we mentioned, there's there's always uh, peaks and valleys here. But any recruitment trends that you think um, will kind of define 23? I, I I'll be watching for how companies reassess their processes for getting the talent talent into their organization and keeping it. Mm-hmm. Because I think it, it, the pandemic caused everyone to reevaluate, right? Office space, office life, and caused companies to, you know, with workers who couldn't work remotely to think about their health and welfare and, you know, forced in some cases. So I think these things will continue to dominate talent acquisition and talent retention efforts. So, you know, will we get to a point where companies will insist workers come back to the office and in what terms? What will that look like? And we talked about, you know, flex and other ways of doing things. So um, and how do we care for workers who have continued to work, you know, rain, shine, pandemic, whatever. So I I believe companies still have work to do and hopefully they'll look at it more holistically and think about all the ways that they get talent into their organization, find ways to tr- attract and keep good talent. Um, and and they'll need help for sure because I think the uncertainty is is the the thing, right? So I think that if companies are broadening the the types of engagements and the ways they're getting workers into their company, they're going to be able to shift um, quickly and uh, more quickly than you know others who may have you know just open channels and shut down channels kind of randomly. So I think there's a lot more work to be done, but I think they're still going to need help with that. Well, Matt, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us in the podcast. Great conversation as always. Yeah, thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. And uh, these, I think, I hope everybody listens to uh, all the other uh, podcasts that we've done and the ones in the future because hopefully they'll provide some help. I think uh, we had some really good folks on this year. Certainly, yeah. To hear uh, past and future episodes uh, of the podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen in. For Yo's back to work. I'm Joe McIntyre. Thanks for listening.